Be kind. Rewind. This is Dope Nostalgia. I am so excited about that new intro. Oh my goodness, like I'm stoked hard on that intro. I want to thank the people who helped make that happen and all the people who've been doing some voice work for me for the show, doing like some of the commercials and the social media drops. And yeah, first of all, I want to thank both uh, Scott Parsons and Mike Brezzo. Um, Mike did the production on that. He uh, he mastered it for me and Scott was the voice. I want to thank him. I want to thank Jason Hilderman for doing my analog commercials. I want to thank Colin Krieger for doing my social media drops and James P. White as well for the intro to This Is Fucking Stupid. So I'm just like, I'm so excited about all the great, uh, great work they've done to help out the podcast. And I can barely talk myself right now, so I'm glad they're doing it for me. (laughs) I'm so excited to bring you this episode today um, featuring a band that I was super stoked on as a teenager. Uh, I'd say I discovered them in the mid-90s. They were in Metal Edge magazine all the time. They were on David Letterman. Donnie V and the Boys are truly what it means to be a power pop band. They had such a Beatles sensibility to their music and their melody, and I was hooked instantly. When I first got into the band, it was basically because uh, an older um, friend I had a crush on, who's just a little bit older than me, <laughs> um, was really into the band. So he told me about them, but then I was like, oh, well, I love this group. This music is incredibly good. Very amazing pop hooks, um, dynamic band. They're called Enough's Enough. Their former lead singer, Donnie V, spent some time talking with me about the things they went through in the 90s and until now, and especially what's going on in his life with his solo career. So I want to welcome Donnie V to the show, and I want to tell you a little bit about Enough's Enough. Wikipedia Moments. Enough is Enough is an American rock band from Blue Island, Illinois, founded by singer Donnie V and bassist Chip Zenuff. It's a pronunciation respelling of the phrase Enough's Enough. The Chicago area band is best known for their charting singles, Fly High Michelle, and this one, New Thing. Enough's Enough has continually recorded and toured throughout their career of more than 30 years, releasing 14 studio albums and 22 CDs to date. Their songs have been recorded by several other musicians, including Paul Gilbert, The Wild Hearts, and Nelson. The group has appeared on MTV, Howard Stern, and David Letterman. In addition to their independent label releases, their music has been released on the major labels Atco Records and Arista Records. Enough is Enough formed in 1984 as Enough is Enough. Well, different spelling. The band grew a live following and recorded their first demo songs, some of which would be officially released later in their career. The band's first single, Fingers On It, received some minor recognition when it was featured in the 1986 cult movie Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. Band members during this period were also included drummer B.W. Boski and guitarist Gino Martino and Alex Kane, the latter of which moved on to lead guitars for Life, Sex, and Death and eventually formed the band Anti-Products. By 1989, Enough's Enough had revised their band name, spelling, and released their first major label offering, a self-titled debut album on Atco Records. For this recording, founding members Donnie and Chip were joined by ex-Limans guitarist Derek Frigo and drummer Vic Fox. The band had two charting hits with the psychedelic-flavored rock pop songs New Thing and Fly High Michelle, both of which received steady airplay on MTV. 
A few years later, the band's heavy glam rock appearance in the music videos would be parodied on Beavis and Butthead. Frontman Donnie V has expressed disappointment that the label marketed the group as a glam metal act during this period instead of a power pop group, which he considered to be a better descriptor of their sound and suggested that the group would have retained their popularity had they been promoted as such. For their follow-up album, 1991's Strength, the band consciously toned down their glam image. Strength was released on Echo Records to strong reviews, including Rolling Stone magazine calling the group the hot band of the year. There were promotional videos for the singles Mother's Eyes and Baby Loves You, as well as an appearance on Late Show with David Letterman. However, this follow-up album did not sell as nearly well as the first. So then the band files for bankruptcy, leaves Atco Records, but soon was picked up by Clive Davis and Arista Records label for 1993's album Animals with Human Intelligence, which we talk about a lot in this interview because this is the album I discovered the band on and I absolutely enjoy it to this day. Some lineup changes have happened over the years, the band released a lot more great music, and they're still doing their thing, but without Donnie. Donnie's working on his solo career now and he's here to tell us all about his new music and his experiences. Donnie's got an amazing YouTube channel. You can search him on and see all the cool videos he's been putting out and the new material. He's very active on social media. And you can go to DonnieV.com, spelled D-O-N-N-I-E-V-I-E.com. What a guy. Absolutely loves talking with him. Welcome Donnie V to the show. Absolutely. It's an honor to be talking with you today. Of course, the king of power pop. Welcome, Donnie. Um, This podcast is about the 90s primarily, but I really want to focus on what you're doing now as well. Okay. So I know that uh, I went through a massive fandom with you guys when Animals with Human Intelligence came out. That was the album I discovered you on. And then I explored the back catalog. So um, tell me the story of that album and the writing and production of Animals with Human Intelligence? Um, Animals was, um, let me think. Some of that, well, that was, um, we had just left um, Echo Atlantic. We had to get off that label after Strength Record and um, found out that uh, there was nothing we could do that we were gonna kind of be stuck on a shelf, no matter how great a record that we put out because of the way uh, the labels and everything was going and what was coming in and what was going out. We kind of got shipped out with the 80s stuff, even though our record came out in November of 89. You know, so we caught it by a month. And um, so when we left uh, Echo Atlantic, we were shopping for a new label, new major label. And um, there was two main, main labels in the running. One was uh, Geffen with John Kalagner, um, who, who re, uh, reinvented Aerosmith and stuff like that. And then, and he wanted to re, reinvent us and break it all down from scratch to scratch, you know, which would have been, that would have been the move to make. Um, but his pitch was basically, uh, it'll be a year before you guys, before we'll even have an album and, you know, probably done. And we had all these songs already and we had considered uh, ourselves ready as far as song wise, but um, you know, the way he operates, very professional, he'd give you the best, you know, which would have been, like I said, would have been the move to make. And then there's Clive Davis over at Arista, who uh, basically signed the band for uh, the song Innocence, mm. and uh, which is valid, and that's all he cared about. And he asked me 
um, could I write him another power ballad for the record? And I went home and wrote right by your side, like that night and uh, demoed it out, sent that back to him. He was like, oh my God, it's great. And so when we went, uh, we were getting ready to do the record and, and Clive had hired a producer for all he had for just two songs, right by your side, Innocence. Said you can produce the rest of the record yourselves. It's uh, whatever you got, you know, I trust you, whatever material, this and that, it all sounds great. Um, and so that was the first indication that all he cared about was, uh, he didn't care about the band. He had no rock, rock market, no rock network or anything like that. No radio uh, for rock and roll. It was all Whitney Houston and shit like that. And so that was the first indication that he uh, probably wanted me to, uh, you know, go solo. And, uh, you know, I was getting all these little hints all over from different label people and stuff, you know, and, and uh, asking me, had I, had I ever considered that and stuff. And at that time, um, I was still, you know, pretty loyal to my band. And, and uh, so I, you know, declined a lot of those, those little hints and stuff, played stupid. And uh, um, the record, there's some of the songs where, uh, you know, we, I'm a writing machine. I, once I started writing and Chip and I started writing together, like for the first record, um, I just, you know, cause I had been, uh, basically I was just a kid. And by the time we recorded our first record, I was, you know, really, really young and I hadn't really done it enough enough was my first band that I was even in. And so I, my writing, once I uh, found that niche of that sort of sound, that power pop thing, uh, my writing took off and I started writing them like this, you know, like fast as shit. And uh, so we always have had a, a big back catalog of stuff, you know, to, uh, to choose from, which made it difficult sometimes to make records. And, and then once you're in there making a record, you, uh, you're in that creative zone. So you have a tendency to uh, start writing some right there in the studio. At least I do. Yeah. And uh, so some of them, we're um, like, there's a couple that we had, you know, kind of laying around and, and for the band's sake, you know, the band was a rock band and they would, and, you know, I'm a real popster and uh, Chip's pretty much a popster too, but they like that, uh, the rock band heavy kind of thing, like superstitious and black rain and stuff, which wasn't, aren't really my, uh, my favorites. I, you know, I've had those sitting around for a while. And I um, love the verse on superstitious. I, I've like, I, like it's not too heavy in the verse, but I really like that part of it the most. Actually. Yeah, it's uh, it was written actually before the first record, and um, I you know I always thought of it as compared to uh, some of the more indulgent stuff and some of the you know just uh, I always thought of it as pretty uh, basic and uh, kind of a shortcut to to what we do, but a lot of people did like it, and so. Um, you know, luckily it was on there and just for, just for the sake of you. And, uh, you know, I always thought of it as kind of like a, a little rip at, on Stevie Wonder. And I just can't stand plagiarism. I never have, have done anything like that, you know? And, uh, yeah. and so, you know, superstitious. So when we, but then like one step closer to you, like I said, I just wrote right by your side, uh, bring it on home. Chip and I wrote, and I was in the, the rehearsal space and came up with the riff to like taking a ride and uh, those songs started to materialize and uh, it's just, you know, Love Train and stuff, they all started flowing and it was, uh, it was a real upbeat poppy record with a couple of these heavy things on there and 
And uh, when we went on um, with David Letterman, we were supposed to do uh, either Right By Your Side or, or Innocence, I forget which one, and Clive wanted us to do. And we ended up, uh, the band and our manager at the time was like, no, we're a rock band. We're going to play something rocking on there and uh, not just basically featuring just Donnie and stuff. And so they made the call to do Superstitious. I went along with it and uh, sang, and we did a good job with it, really good. And But, you know, that was kind of... Uh, it's not a smart move to do when you, uh, when somebody like Clive Davis uh, says, do this, and then you make a move like that, you know, but it was, um, you know, the record was basically just written like the earlier days, uh, just with, you know, once strength came, I started really taking over the writing, you know, as, as regardless of what other people might have to say about it, you know what I mean? And I basically took over the writing and, and uh, animals was was kind of that same that same uh, situation, you know. Couple written in the couple written in the in the studio at the time, and just that energy. And uh, you know, after that, after the animals record, uh, things I started you know writing almost most of this stuff all by myself. And then we get together and record it and stuff. But yeah, that was like the last real uh, band effort. And, um, and right after Vicky Fox, who played drums on the first three records, right after we finished the record, he finished his drum tracks, he split and joined Vince Neil, mm -hmm. which I guess was his plan all along, but he was a liar snake of a piece of shit of a dude. And he would always uh, lie and he never knew where he stood with him. And so we got another drummer. And uh, from there on in, Ricky Parent was like the drummer for all the way up until uh, he'd passed away. And uh, then Dissonance was a, uh, was Vinnie Costello, but yeah, that's, uh, there's not much else to say about, it was the last giant budget record, you know, we're looking at probably between that and the video and stuff, you know, half a million dollars and, you know, which is ridiculous nowadays because I can make a record right here, yeah. you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, it just, you know, it's a, it's all boils down to the songs and the, and the vocal, you know, the lead singer's voice and, um, which I guess I have a pretty unique sounding voice and people, people seem to like it. And, uh, and uh, so that was, you know, that's the last big budget shit, you know, and then that, even the Richie Zito stuff that he's hired to produce, we did new versions of those songs. And, um, and uh, Clive didn't like them as well as he liked the demos that I had re just recorded on my late track machine. So those ended up being on the record, the actual demos just with replaced with real drums and stuff. And so that was another 40 grand down to, you know, for nothing, you know, but um, it was a fun experience making the record because we did it out in California, a lot of it. Well, at least the Zito sessions and stuff, which turned out to be these days ended up getting produced there. And I wrote a couple there and there was one or two song songs that went on the peach fuzz record that, on spare time that I started tracking and right across the street was uh, uh, Crazy Girls, the strip club, and uh, right across the street, right outside the gate. And, um, and I was a little bit, uh, you know, I was still riding the party pretty hard and, and uh, go over there and, and uh, hang on. You know, it was a really fun time, a really fun vibe. I was Borrowed that band Nelson's um, 64 and a half ragtop Mustang. I had that out there and like, uh, I kind of, uh, the, the main stripper fell in love with me. And so I had all of the strippers hanging with me. They're all over at the studio. And that's why I wrote Master of Pain 
for them to dance and they were all dancing to it across the street and stuff. And that's the only reason I wrote that song. But uh, it was a really fun time. And um, after that, the unity and, and just the feel of a band and that feel of togetherness and that feel of like, uh, you know, this is going to be really successful. That was gone right, right after that, you know, when the disasters and shit that happened with that, that record and that label and Clive Davis. And, um, mm-hmm. and so then it just became a, it's the downward spiral of the, the darkness, you know, and I went head over heels into uh, drugs and shit. And, uh, but the creativity has always, always been there despite, I was saving the drugs might have even been a, a useful tool in a lot of the writing, wow. you know, the inspiration and the, just to have that energy in it, you know, instead of sitting around, you know, smoking pot and watching TV and going to sleep and eating, I'd be up for a week and creative and want to get in that studio and get things done. And, uh, but yeah, that was, I'm sorry. That is the answer to your question. It's no, absolutely. Now, probably the answer to a bunch of them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had so many thoughts throughout what you're talking about, especially about when you go from recording to a major label and, and the heyday that was, and then now you have more freedom. The money might not be there backing you, but you have freedom to record what you want and the ability to do it right at home, like you said. So I think when all you really need is a good, uh, a good recording room and a good microphone and everything else you, you can just do from there. Yeah. Yeah, the main the main ingredient is the songs and um, and you know having a good singer, you know. And I'm I've just got I've been blessed and lucky with that. And um, like I like I said with uh, with the animals, I mean just to send Clive that's his first days of CDs and stuff, and just to send Clive his daily roughs to listen to had to be burned on CD. Insisted on those were five hundred dollars a piece. That's just to tell you what kind of kind of budget was going on, and you know the big food like. I'd look out in the control room while I'm singing or something. And I'd see some chef come wheeling a cart into the control room, you know, with like a chef hat on and stuff. I'd see just something flambe flames and stuff in there. I'm like, what the fuck's going on at road crew? Everybody ordering something. And it was like, just a ridiculous waste of money. And we kind of didn't have a really a, a embrace the concept that we were actually paying for that stuff. And, um, but with the Arista record, he, Clive ended up just to uh, just to make everything easy, and uh, because he, his lack of giving a fuck anymore after things went the way it did, it, it was all uh, we didn't owe him nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. So you're paying for all that stuff, but you never asked for it in the end. Like, well, a lot of the stuff was uh, was a requirement in those days for a major label. You know what I mean? You got to go, and you didn't have this kind of setups or anything like that. There was there was home recording machines. Um, there were actually machines with tape and stuff, or there was, uh, and if you made a record, you did that in the big studios. And the big studios at that time held all the cards, you know what I mean? And um, the big, huge tape machines and stuff like that, and the big control room and the desk and all that stuff and all the outboard gear and having to have an engineer and a you know, producer, all that stuff and, and assistants to set things up and all that shit like that. Mm-hmm. So you had, you know, that was just the industry standard protocol. If you were signed to a major label, making a, making a big record and, and, uh, but we, we rarely ever had a producer. I think it was with one, excuse me, one record strength. We where we hired a producer and, and it, you know, that's, it, it, it's evident. You can hear that there's a difference in different, uh, vibe and a different, uh, vision to it. 
but uh, that still was basically, you know, a lot me. <laughs> yeah. Well, your sense of musicality is unreal. Like your ability to write a hook, the melody. Um, I think one of my favorite examples of that would be the song Goodbye. I mean, just the interesting chord choices you make too. Like I just, I absolutely love Pretty, love pretty simple and basic chord structure. Um, you know, at the time, I just but, remember, I just remember the one line, uh, now we're sleeping in separate beds is something that kind of, you know, chicks and stuff would hear that one line and uh, <laughs> stuff like that. And I was going through a, a, a nasty breakup at the time and stuff like that. But once I got out there in LA, I didn't care about the breakup anymore. You know what I mean? All the ongoings and stuff out there. So the thing that gets me is like musically is that chorus when you go, took its toll on our love, that part there is just oh that you're a graphic. singer you're a, a singer. singer i'm a singer but yeah sing the chorus i'll sing it the harmony if <laughs> <laughs> the zoom delay hey <laughs> now time has yes, took its toll, its toll on on love. <laughs> we can't do it there is a <laughs> it zoom delay work. no but still yeah um better than chips harmony i mean <laughs> <laughs> no nah, yeah i'm just kidding yeah, you're a but, singer, huh? Yeah, I'm a singer. And yeah, mm. I got a lot of inspiration as a writer, too, from the stuff you were doing at the time. Thank so you. thank you. I mean, well, you had to have been a baby. I, I grew up on that. <laughs> you had to have been a baby. You I don't was, look like you're probably in your 20s I'm, right now. I'm 41. Really? So, you're shitting me. Yeah. Well, so I would have time been, has been good to you. Thank <laughs> you. I think I would have been 14, 13, 14 at that time. But uh, yeah, I mean, as a budding writer, what you were doing really meant a lot to me. So it's good well, to be you. able to express that with you. And Pretty woman drive me out of my head She said a lot of things she shouldn't have said And I know the feelings for her in my heart are dead Cause now we're sleeping in separate beds From that Animals album, though, what would have your favorite track have been? Like, I like the deep cuts. I like the deep cuts. I always, always want to know what. Uh, animals. Favorite. I don't know. I would have. There's a, a bunch that I really liked on it. Um, of course, Innocence. Because that meant a lot to me because I wrote that. You know, I, I, I raised my little sisters when they were babies and stuff. And um, when I had to go off and be a rock star and everything, um, 
that I wasn't there for some crucial years and things like that. So I kind of wrote that for them, you know, as you're, you're getting to be a woman now, you're going to be fucking and this and that. And it's like, <laughs> they, you know, that song. So that had, that meant something to me. And I, and I, that one, I, I really thought was, uh, had, it was came together really cool, but like stuff like one step closer to you or, um, you know, and they write themselves very quickly. And then these days I really liked, and that, that was a collaboration of Chip and mine. And, uh, that's like I didn't like, I, yeah, I didn't like rock and world too much, but, um, I liked, uh, love train, mm-hmm. a lot of lyrics in love train, a lot. There's not even a break to, to take a break. To, yeah. I mean, that's, that one you'd have to struggle with, you know? Well, the art, <laughs> the art of writing the hook kind of seems to be lost right now. I find in music, you think, um, <laughs> yeah, putting it mildly, putting it mildly. So well, you know, the, the main thing is what I would consider to be a, a good song is if you if you can sit there with a guitar or a piano or something and play the song and sing it. Now nowadays, there's that's getting to be rare because um, they're not written that way. They're written by a team of people or something like that. Oh, they're true. the production like they'll write a part and then maybe sing the chorus one time and then in production and mixing and stuff they'll fly it in and stuff and everything's perfected and you know all, all tuned. The vocals are tuned and. And, um, you know, there's just a lot of parts and, and you just, you just basically couldn't pick up a guitar and just play and sing the song that those days are, you know, drum, drum sets are kind of extinct. Guitars are starting to be extinct and it's all these weird sounds and loops and samples. And, um, you know, there, there'll be a hook, but the hooks are, they're different. It's not, um, it's not like the, the hooks of like the Beatles days or something like that. The hooks are some one line that, uh, that's just repeated over and over and over and over again. And uh, It doesn't make the hook special. There's no when, climactic like, point. Like uh, with the, the audience and the people you're... Yeah, well, right. It's like, a, like if you're fucking somebody that you just started jackrabbiting, right? Or just, you know, <laughs> just maybe like... Uh, uh, what do they call it? Uh, warm up sex, you know, a little oral sex and this and that. That continues all the way to the end. There's no, there's no fucking, there's no, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? There's no spinning around with the legs up in the air and this and that. It's just like, you know, finger banging and this and that all the way through. And it's just never, there's no dynamics, you know? Yes, exactly. Dynamics are missing. I even miss modulation. Like I miss the, co- the key change. That doesn't happen oh. anymore. <laughs> I don't know if we if we did that. Uh, I think we did that on uh, "I Can Never Be Without You," but I think that might have been the only song that we ever did that with. Hmm. Um, you know, it's kind of a song has to really, like, I let a song tell me what it wants to be. You know what I mean? And a lot of most of them, the the good ones, the effective ones, when the idea comes, I can pretty much hear the song already. You know, uh, with the idea and the vowels and syllables and stuff and. And when you let a song tell you what it wants to be, which is the, you know, sitting down to write a song. All right, let's sit down and write a song today. That's never worked for me. And I, and I don't think that that really is successful for a lot of people. It's yeah. like I did a, a presentation for this country music uh, a songwriters thing like a week ago. And um, I'm reading, um, reading the entries and, um, and uh, there's like four or five writers on every song. I'm like, how the fuck do you do that with four or five writers? I mean, I can't stand when there's one other guy 
getting yeah. involved and and like beautiful things was the very first record where i've a- actually got to uh take it out on the highway and open it up and see what i could actually do and, and paint my clear vision is everything else enough's enough days there was there's other things that you had to cater to you had to you know you had to uh you know, there was no restrictions. And I did a couple other solo records, but still, I was still dealing with that. But um, yeah, I don't even know what you're, what we're talking about anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, basically, it's like, uh, the, basically, we started with the hook and how it's kind of like, I don't really like the idea of five people writing a song either, because that's it just takes all the soul right out of it, or if, if there was any soul in it to begin with. One person may have had a good idea, but all the all the heads in there i think it's too much it's um it's a it's a real good example of um that there just aren't any you know it's like with in the older days starting from like you know the 50s and stuff like that what would happen is the next generation will be influenced by the by the previous generation and take it from there and pick up from there mm-hmm. and um see but that that stopped happening about about mid nineties, like all of the rock sounded exactly the same. I couldn't tell you one different, one band from another minus uh, Nirvana, uh, uh, STP, uh, things like that, where you got that, that recognizable singer, you know, there's like all of them. So you lost that. Then rap came in, which, which is a crime because uh, the Motown and the black and the soul and stuff was some of my favorite shit. That's in my, that's a big influence in my writing. So that was gone. You know what I mean? You got guys like Kanye West that, basically can't sing, can't play an instrument, uh, you know, and, and Ollie, and he's, jam- he's like out selling Paul McCartney in concerts and stuff like that. It just doesn't make any sense to me, but writing with that many guys, I know personally how many guys have been in, in efforts to do that have been ended up uh, pretty bent out of shape by the end of uh, record, by the end of writing the song, you know, and uh, yeah. And uh, you know, but guys just still, still get their name on there and this and that. And, uh, you know, it just distracts, for me, distracts from the vision. And like I said, I let the song tell me what it wants to be, not this guy or that guy or this guy. You know what I mean? You obviously don't know what the fuck, you know what I mean? At least for something I'm going to sing and do. But, yeah, I mean, that made too many cooks in the kitchen, you know, spoiling the... Yeah, too many you know, cooks in all, the kitchen. Yeah, that all stopped happening, you know what I mean? Now now we've just kind of reached a, a lull in this, this I, I, the pop market has turned into this one thing where they all sound the same and look the same. It's just a different face <clears throat> per song and the rap stuff is, I mean, Jesus Christ, that's just so burnt out, you know, I mean, remember the first rap stuff, like like the one that everybody would know the words to and it was rhythmatic. The hip and, uh, hop, the hibbit, the hibbit to the hip hip, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, like the yeah. first ones where it's like, rhythmic, it's rhythmic and everybody would know the words and it's like, then they get into, yeah, man, I'm going yeah, to fuck the pool. You know, we're going to cook up some crack and this, I got my money and all, you know, killing people and hate speech. and But nothing has changed. Nothing has evolved now, you know, and, and anything that, that resembles uh, classic rock and classic music um, doesn't stand a chance anymore. It's like, it's the machine. It's, it's the business music now, instead of the music business, you don't have DJs, you know, picking what they like and what that, that's what made a great DJ is, is the music that he would choose and his tastes and styles and he present it and play it out there. And people got a chance to uh, choose. And now it's just an oversaturation of like YouTube and all that shit. Like, you know, you can't sell a record because as soon as it's out, somebody puts it up there and then, you know, nobody's going to buy it. 
because they can listen to it for free. And there's a million different, you know, some chick eating a pickle, making the sounds, you know, like different things like that, you know, crazy <laughs> stuff. It, it's huge, you know, catches on viral. And somebody like me, you know, I'm scratching and clawing to get 10,000 views, you know what I mean? So it doesn't matter how good you are anymore. It just, it just doesn't, which is a shame. Another thing I miss is stuff like Metal Edge magazine. Oh, Jerry Miller. <laughs> yeah. Jerry Actually, Miller I've been trying was to get awesome. Hold, I'm trying to get a hold of her. I'd like to have her on as a guest. But if you uh, get a hold of her, would you give her my email? Because I miss Jerry. We were we were got to be good pals, you know what I mean? And in those days you, you couldn't uh open one of those magazines without us being in it, you know. But Jerry's was great. She would come out on the you know out in the bus with you for a week or something like that, you know, and she got to, you know, be a, mm. you know, friends, you know, and, and she was a true fan. You know what I mean? She was yeah, a fan. She was a with, real champion for everybody to be successful in, in rock music. Like she, yeah. right. I mean, obviously journalism was different before the internet. So I can understand why she'd be with the bands all the time. It's probably the only way to really get the proper story written. Yeah, well, a lot of the interviews that I've I doing, I'm doing a lot of them lately, and I'll be doing a hell of a lot more after the single and stuff. And, you know, it's, it, I get the, sometimes I feel the vibe of, of uh, sometimes these guys aren't even hip to what I do. You know what I mean? It's just like another, oh, okay, I'll do Donnie B or this and that. You know, somebody will tell them, hey, the guy's a good artist or he's a good interview. Because mm -hmm. I'm usually, you know, a decent interview. I'm that, I don't have two word answers and stuff like that, you know, and, and I know what I'm talking about, but like your, your questions and things like that, you know, it's a, it's a pleasure to do an interview like this, you know, you I should like do video though, cause you're, you're gorgeous. And, oh, thank you. you know, and I set up the damn camera and everything for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I mean, I like having a real conversation about things that mattered to me and like all the things I've ever wanted to know about the music you've done. I mean, obviously now one thing I was wondering about your relationship musically with the Beatles and how they have shaped your sound and your life. That was, um, that was my education. That was the first music that I can remember even recognizing that I was listening to. I made a little close and play record player back in the old days. It was like a toy and, uh, Mm -hmm. And a couple of my uncles uh, had, you know, I forget what, what couple of 45s that I played over and over and over again. And as I was poor, we were poor. I didn't even ever even have my own albums or own records or anything like that. You know, I'd have to listen to other people's and stuff. But um, I, my uncles, I would go on Christmas, I would take my cassette recorder and I'd record all of their albums. That's what I'd be doing in there. And, uh, and so I just... You know, I was very insecure. I was a shy kid. I was lived in a sort of abusive upbringing and all the stereotype classic things that could be done to you were happening. And so I kind of lived in my own bubble, my own shell, where the Beatles, <clears throat> it, it just grabbed me. Um, you know, in hindsight is insight is like there was a reason for that to happen in the, in the end because you, you could get a perfect education in how to structure, write, arrange, um, you know, the vowels and syllables, the way, a, the way uh, certain words sing better than other words will sing, mm -hmm. the way to phrase things and stuff. And, um, you know, and then production styles and stuff like that, because in the, in the short span of where they were making records together, you know, it was like seven years or something. And, and they went from, you know, please, please me all the way to Abbey Road, you know, in, in seven years. 
which is a hell of an evolution process. And um, you just, you know, then I started adding different things later, but I just, I didn't stray from the Beatles and, and like some certain things like the Jackson Five and stuff like that, Stevie Wong. Those were mixed in and uh, what I'd hear on the AM radio and stuff, but that, like their voices and every, the planets aligned for the Beatles. It's just planets aligned, you know what I mean? All the way to the way their instruments looked and everything, but had a lot of impact on me and I really didn't even experience it, but next generation looking back, you know, and the farther we get in evolution, the less and less people know or even, you know, know what the Beatles are or care about the Beatles. And, and you could tell a lot about a person if they like the Beatles or don't like the Beatles, you know, somebody doesn't yeah. hates the Beatles. <clears throat> the dog probably doesn't like that person. You know I mean, there's a, there's something <laughs> missing. There's a soul. There's a, you know, some beauty in them that doesn't exist, you know, but you could, you could basically get a great education in that. And I did, you know, and people always have a tendency to say, well, Donnie was so, so lucky. He, uh, you know, just born with this uh, gift, but no, I was, since four years old, I was studying and focused and, and, you know, like I was in college, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And everything else was out, outside of this thing. Nothing else mattered. I never lost my vision. I had no doubt in my mind that, that I was going to be a, a good artist, which was my only goal. I never had a goal to be a famous rock star or rich or anything like that. You know, I'm, I wanted to uh, write songs that had the same effect on, uh, on the listeners is that shit did on me, you know, and just like you said, you know, which is the greatest compliment that, you know, that was uh, a lot that had to do with your, uh, you know, oh, yeah. musical stylings and stuff. That's the greatest Absolutely. compliment you could get. So my, my, my dream came true. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what you guys were doing at that point, I, w I didn't even know much about the Beatles at that point in my, in my life, but you guys were that for me. Um, as well as other bands, but definitely you guys. Podcasting is so much fun, but it's kind of expensive too. We gotta pay for stuff like licensing fees, hosting fees, long distance phone calls, etc. etc. You get the drill? Okay. Well, we have a new thing called Patreon. Now, don't nostalgia. 
has a Patreon account where you can subscribe to premium content. And what that means for you is for the very low starting price of $1 a month, you'll be able to get the podcast two days in advance of the regular release. Not only that, $3 a month, you get exclusive video content just for you guys to check out bonus stuff all the time that you don't get with the regular show. So check it out, patreon.com slash dope nostalgia. Become a subscriber today and get all the good perks. Ah, it's Christmas and while other stores are busy going, ho, 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 Wilco's busy chipping away at their prices. Here's proof. When you care enough to send the very best, Hallmark's assorted box of 30 cards and envelopes is just $5.98 at Wilco. Keep going. Sleep tight in our wide selection of boys' licensed pajamas or men's flannel or broadcloth pajamas, now just $13.99. Here's the proof. Nice work. Take Christmas off. Till noon. you've been doing now um last year you put out an album right the yeah beautiful things beautiful it's, things. it's like my best the best work i've ever done and, and there's another thing a lot of artists i mean how many artists can say now i've done over 20 records right with with and without the band mm-hmm. and um i had a policy with myself to that my, my next record has to be excuse me um as good or better than my last record and continue to evolve and not repeat myself with anything, no plagiarism and, and to continue to grow and where, cause I have to love it or I won't release it. And um, still to this day, beautiful things is the best, my best work yet where I feel, I feel like every, I got everything perfect. There's no explanation that goes along with anything. There's no, I wish I'd have done this or I wish I'd have done that. Everything I consider perfect. And, um, and now I, I luckily I, I had another wave of writing right after uh, I almost died in the hospital. And I was gonna ask you what happened with your health scare there? My uh, pancreas finally melted, oh, <laughs> you know, for all the years of abuse to my, my body and stuff like that, you know, and then um, just the pancreas when I didn't even, wasn't very familiar with even the, you know, pancreas, what does that do? Is that like a, this and that? And, and so it melted on me and I was in the hospital had the doctor, you know, have that talk with me, get your affairs in order and this and that, you're probably not going to make it through this. And, and I knew that I would, you know, there was no doubt in my mind. I, I never doubted for a second that I'd lived through it, but this huge creative wave came over me when I got out of there after a month, mm-hmm. like a month in there, I lost 35 pounds and I'm not fat to begin with. 
And so, and when I got out two days after I was, I hit the ground running two days after I was out of the hospital, I was shooting uh, parts of the video for uh, this instant karma that, that I ended up uh, tracking John Lennon's song. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I can tell now people are like, maybe you might want to wait a little bit. I'm like, no, I got to get to work. I've been sitting here for a, for a month. I hadn't had a bite of food, a drink of water, anything, just tubes in me and this and that and couldn't eat anything or nothing like that. And I just hit the, hit the ground running and, um, and like a wave of songs came over me and I demoed and tracked about 15 really strong songs, which, uh, which will continue to evolve and they're, they're a step above beautiful things, but beautiful things. We never got up. Every single thing that could go fucking wrong went wrong with uh, the poor record, you know, from pledge music <clears throat> that where they stole all the money and left. And then the, the shitty little label that I ended up having to go on, which I'm just, I'm in the process of buying out of right now to get that record back away from them. Wow. So I just, I just got my whole catalog back. Because, you know, nothing's ever been uh, been properly or given any love or shown anything, you know. And, uh, and um, well, what was I saying? But, you know, with the pandemic and everything, we're just getting ready to go out and tour with it. You know, and I got all those other records. So we're talking about a three-hour show, you know. Um, and I'm not going to tour, like, tour per se, like get in a van or this and that and go out every night and, and you got – Tuesday or Monday through Thursday playing in these dumps for less than a thousand dollars a night just to pay for gas or because you're already out there and shit. And, you know, uh, I don't feel that, that I deserve to have to do that anymore. And um, I got enough of, you know, I'm doing kind of making events and stuff. And there was, there was quite a few starting to get lined up and, um, and then the pandemic hit and we weren't even able to support the damn record. And, and so I, that's where I decided uh, that I wasn't ready to give up on it and, and, and record a whole new record yet. First of all, because that's finances and stuff like that. Or, so I was going to go singles, release singles. And that's my plan up yeah. until uh, possibly negotiating a deal right now with a, a label that just picked up the Holes Enough catalog and, and is going to take my solo catalog and stuff. And, um, and so uh, singles is the... the, the way that I'm, I'm going and so I just you know I'm releasing one I've been holding it up and holding it up and holding it up and then I decided this this next song is called Party Time and it's like the song I've been trying to write my whole career where it's still has the integrity and the sound and the style of what I do but has that mass uh, uh, hook appeal where you could use it and sing it at a sports thing or, or it could be a commercial for something or this and that and um yeah. And uh, needs a, a proper video. And so, uh, you know, spending a lot of money and a lot of effort on this and had to get it away from the label as well. And, uh, you know, that's that's ugly and that's messy. But, yeah, well, that's I don't know what we even started talking about on this, but like you only need two questions for me for an interview. <laughs> 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 Fantastic. But once that single is out, I want to be able to share it with all of our listeners as well probably have you back at that time if you're free but um always free for pretty girl <laughs> what's uh what's been happening now with enough's enough because i i saw and i listened to uh they put out an album and you did a song with them again well i didn't um like i went through a whole uh period of completely breaking down and and getting my all of the the needed 
help that I needed to for all those years to finally, you know, it started off with me getting arrested for something. And I spent, you know, it was a few months in jail. And then I was offered this program, uh, adult treatment court program. And I, I just, they were nervous because I was in a whole different state and stuff. The kind of hillbillies kept, hit, you know, kidnapped me and held me for without ransom. But it was, uh, they were expecting uh, a real handful to deal with. And, and I turned out to be uh, their star picture of, because you know, I was, I needed it. I wanted it. And so during that time, because um, I had just left the band and we had, you know, finally things just couldn't deal with it anymore and differences and um, just lunacy, you know what I mean? And uh, just ridiculous shit. And so um, there was, a, you know, falling out between Chip and myself. He just continued to go on, you know, again for the second time with a different singer and, and these other guys. So he's out there playing. It's just Chip, the bass player, and a bunch of guys that, know, that haven't played one note on any of the records and stuff. And, and um, I never dreamt in a million years. I, I knew he would be doing that. I never dreamt that he would make a record, enough's enough record. You know what I mean? After all of his predecessors, and it left off with dissonance, like the best record, enough's enough record. And, and him to put out another record, you know, and I know his sound. I know what he writes on his own. I know what he sounds like. And, singing himself and stuff and so you know uh, it was a shortcut to thinking as far as I was concerned and then uh, there was other stuff that really I felt violated really bent me out of shape and then then I find out he's making putting out another one and I'm like this crazy you know I mean it's uh it's like yeah we definitely don't want to work together but as far as making a record for the fans and for the integrity of the band and stuff you know People want to hear my voice, want to hear that songwriting and stuff, you know, and which I put it out there to him, said, I'm willing to do that, to contribute. You know, I mean, it's not that even difficult because I can do my work here and send it to you and you can do your stuff where you're at and send it back. And like, and then, um, then with the pandemic and stuff, uh, animosity, but this deal came about that this whole Clea bought up our whole entire Enough Snuff catalog, which was great because now it's all under one roof and, you know, no one's paid us anything throughout the years. You just, you know, you don't know anything that's going on. There's a huge collection of catalog of songs and stuff. And so we started talking a little bit and, um, you know, and, and all the bullshit and all the fucking hatred and all that shit that I had and he probably had wasn't didn't get into the conversation until after we've been on the phone for 45 minutes where we're laughing and catching up and talking about this and that like the brother that I had all those years you know and then the, there's always the lunacy and the ridiculous uh, I consider just you know <laughs> yeah. you know but um but uh with the pandemic then you know it's like there was nobody knew exactly um people were dropping like flies and, and it was, I thought to myself it's possible I might never see this guy again you know he's five years older than me and I'm old as fuck, you know what I mean? So that makes him, you know, and, um, and so I, I put it out there. I said, well, um, listen, you know, I'm willing to uh, at least, if you're going to do this, I'm willing to, uh, you know, contribute a song. So the fans will get one song, you know, of what they're used to and, the, you know, and something that, and, uh, and I figured that he, he might use that as the single. But he didn't, no. <laughs> so he kind of never even really talked about it or anything. But you know, eventually he started doing interviews, just like when I was doing interviews. Uh, you're you're hit with that question. You know, you didn't ask it until now on this thing. But you know, that was like big question. And um, and uh, but 
you know, I mean, I, is it I hard still, to approach those questions though? Like, no, or, no, yeah, I'll answer anything. There's nothing that I won't, you know, I'm uninhibited yeah. and uncensored, you know, and, yeah. but, uh, it's, we're, we're, we're on better terms now. And, um, you know, and that possibilities are open for different things now. Uh, but he has a different vision and he's content with, uh, you know, opening for cock rock bands and these shitty little tours and stuff with, where he gets to be the main guy and stuff. And, uh, but obviously the agenda has changed. It's uh, where, what agenda do you have? You know what I mean? If you're, if you're not interested in um, the integrity of the band, you're not interested in what the fans want or, or care about. It's like, you know, you got to question that, but at least that door is open now as, as it were, it was nailed shut. And, uh, you know, I'd be willing to, uh, you know, get involved to a greater capacity, but which I imagine he'll, he'll kind of probably, his mind will be of change now after these two records and stuff and having to sit there and during the pandemic and not really get out and tour and play, mm -hmm. which is all he wants to do, you know, and he's making shit money, you know, with the band and stuff. And it's devalued the name down to where they're not making anything. And as opposed to if, like, if I proposed to him, you know, if we got together and played like a big Chicago show, one big New York show, one big California show, go over and do a couple nights in Europe, stuff he can charge five to 10 grand for a show, you know what I mean? Which would take him, uh, you know, plus merchandise and everything. It'll take him fucking two weeks to make that, you know what I mean? And, and, and I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna, you know, it's too demoralizing. It's too bad, too hard on your sobriety and all that stuff, you know? And um, I just feel it's just worth more than that. And, and so I'd be willing to contribute more. And I imagine he'll probably be uh, come knocking at my door after the, the, the success of his, his new record. <laughs> you don't dig love in me no more. We used to make it long and slow. I've cried so long, my eyes are sore. I see it's time to let you go. Enough's Enough has had to deal with their share of tragedy in the band. In May 2004, their former lead guitarist, Derek Frigo, passed away from a drug overdose at the age of 36. Then their drummer of 12 years, Ricky Parent, lost his battle with cancer in October 2007. Now, losing Ricky and Derek, and my condolences to, to all of you guys in the band over their losses, how did you all deal with that and what they went through, and how does the band... How do you as people go forward after that kind of thing? Well, Derek, um, um, he, I basically uh, stopped, just refused to play with him anymore after the Animals record. I just didn't, I never, I never uh, felt that his style and what he sounded, I mean, amazing guitar player. And, and any band that I felt that he should be in should revolve around his his talents and stuff and then somebody apply their thing to what he does not having trying to get him to play that's like getting 
Richie Blackmore to be in the Beatles or something like that. It just doesn't make any sense. And, yeah. and just, you know, with the, the tox, toxicity of both of our drug issues and drug problems and stuff, it was just toxic. And, and um, I remember just finally firing him. And um, so I hadn't seen him for, <clears throat> for uh, I think it would have been 10, over 10 years until I'd uh, run into him in California and um, he had just gotten out of rehab and we uh, started talking and it was, I'd never known Derek sober or anything like that, you know, maybe for a day here and there, but I'd never known him sober and it was a whole different guy. And, um, and I was like, you know what, we should pick this up a little because I wasn't in enough's enough anymore at that point because I'd left for six years back then too. And, um, and so we kind of, he was sort of still friends with Vic. And so we kind of got together and uh, played a couple of jam things that like, I think it was a cat club. And then, um, and then they had a, there was a band called Steel Panther that plays out oh, in California. Yeah. And uh, you know, like eighties bands or stuff like that would open at the Viper room would open for them. And that's where you would get a good crowd and stuff. And Enough's Enough was playing, opening for them. And, and they had me banned from the club and everything, you know, and I went in there cause I had Vic and Derek and um, you know, and they played and then we were in the club and, uh, and uh, what's his name? Uh, the singer, uh, he, he, he just, he called us up, me and Derek and Vic. And uh, he was pissed at Chip because he wouldn't call me in to the, let me in the club. And we went up there and did a new thing of Fly Michelle and the place went crazy. Yeah. And, uh, and that was kind of a, you know, take that motherfucker. And, <laughs> and uh, so we had played uh, together a couple of performances now. And, um, and that was a uh, really bittersweet because after we did that, kind of all of a sudden he kind of had a little bit of the key to the city again. And um, by the next time I'd seen him, I invited him over to, to let's do some writing. Let's try to record a tune or something. And he came over and I could tell that, that everything was different again. I could see that look and I knew that vibe. And, and I was like, I can't, you know, I was married at the time and my relationship was really rocky and I couldn't be going into that shit. And uh, so um, I screened him out the next day when he was, you know, from the, that night, the next day he's calling, dude, pick up the phone, man, it's Derek, dude, you know, this and that. And I screened him out like three, four times. And, and then I got a phone call like that late that afternoon, early evening, somebody asking me, did you, is it true? And I'm like, what is what true? And that's where I found out that Derek was gone. And, you know, up until that point though, what it wouldn't have really been as uh it's shocking to me had I not just reconnected with the guy, but mm. you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. We got a chance to, uh, to work it out and, um, you know, and make peace with everything before he went, but that made it harder for me, you know, and with, and with Ricky, like I said, I had left the band for six years and they went on to continue to play. So I always consider Ricky to be the, the, the drummer for enough's enough, you know, because he did, he was on the majority of the records. He's the one who was out, scratching and clawing with us and stuff yeah. and and then um i wasn't in the band when he died and so i really had lost touch with him i don't even, didn't even talk to him uh, in years and so he passed away and i hadn't spoken to him in like six years e either so you know it was it was you know it wasn't like we're we're out we're playing we're in a band this and that and these guys die you know what i mean yeah. it wasn't like that so but you know it is you know i mourn ricky later on in life you know as i you know, you think about something else, and when it hits you, it hits you. And uh, 
You know what I mean? But, but he's in good shape where he's at now, and he was struggling, and now I, I know his energy is around. And, yeah. 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 Are you still located in Chicago? Is that your hometown? Chicago area, a uh, suburb of Chicago. Yeah, it's, I grew up in 10 minutes, 15 minutes from here, a place called Blue Island. And um, sounds <gasps> a lot. Song. Yeah, welcome to yeah, Blue It sounds Island. a lot prettier than it is, trust me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I grew up over there and now I'm in a suburb. I'm not going to say exactly where I'm at, but, no, of course not. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm right, <clears throat> right back in town, which I hadn't, I hadn't lived back here since, uh, since I moved away after, uh, I would say after like doing seven or so, I moved away and I've lived in California, I've lived in New York, I've even lived in England for a little while, I lived in Brazil nice. for a little while and then Texas and, and, uh, <clears throat> and ultimately I, got so bad that I tried to kill myself and woke up in, uh, in the hospital and I just kind of got shipped back to, uh, you know, and, and, and was going on this European tour, acoustic tour with this guy and I come back, get off the plane and uh, I got arrested and went through this whole thing. And so uh, <clears throat> I had been scared to come back here. I had a lot of bad vibes. I had a lot of, you know, my grandparents had died, all this shit. And, you know, I still go into that old house and stuff. It's just, I get the creeps from it. It's just bad vibes for me. And um, so I hadn't lived here or even really been here in uh, 15 years, you know, but now I'm back here and I'm happy I've been in my life now, right now. And it's I mean, really good physically, mentally um, old, you know, but I'm happy. I'm my beautiful studio and stuff, my yeah, killer room, great. nice house and, got everything I could possibly need and so uh you know I mean so <laughs> I'm happy to see you doing well and I was gonna say Chicago it, I've been there once I went to see Extreme at the House of Blues huh. back like five years ago yeah five years ago they're still playing again oh yeah oh yeah all yeah. original uh they are well they've been trying to put a they're recording an album now it should be done soon but uh they were doing porno graffiti for its 25th anniversary in its entirety. So I flew from Canada down to see them and checked out Chicago for a couple of days and got to have my first deep dish pizza. And oh, yeah. well, that's thin crust is actually what we're most famous. I mean, you can't find bad pizza in the Chicago area, even the suburbs and stuff. You go anywhere else in the world, pizza sucks. You know what I mean? It's all pizza hut to me, you know, and, Extreme was almost, I think that was like the first or second national act that we'd ever played with, open for, and uh, that's before we even had a record deal or anything. We played with them and, oh, yeah. and uh, yeah, Nuno's, or Nuno and uh, Gary and stuff. Yeah, those were, they were a great band, you know. It's, they, did, they even wrote and recorded a couple of songs that was right down my, my alley that I really, uh, you know. Well, they're very melodic as well. They have a good, they're, they're like funky and heavy, but they're melodic too. And yeah. that's, that's the appeal for me. I've always I actually like Nuno's voice better than I like Gary's. You know what I mean? It's, they sound good that's... together. Oh, yeah. They got that they, nice blend in they, their harmony. They had more than words back when we were playing with them that they never recorded it. They considered that, uh, I don't know, it wasn't, didn't gel with what they were doing. But I remember them at Soundcheck playing more than words, just Nuno and Gary. And, and I was like, that's the... There, that's a fucking great. That's you know a smash, and but they didn't record that till another couple of records, I do believe. Uh, and uh, yeah, but that's cool. I'm glad. I'm glad that um, they're playing together again. Where would you recommend a 
person coming to visit Chicago to check out? Where would you recommend? Well, there's no rock clubs. So you can forget about that. Um, <laughs> right now. I don't even know what's open anymore. Uh, let's pretend COVID doesn't exist. Let's, let's uh, live in a dream would, world for a second. I would spend time down, down uh, in the loop, uh, like on Lakeshore Drive, you know, the lake and um, Navy Pier and uh, things like that. That's where, if you're in Chicago, that's where to go. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the sports you know, the stadiums and stuff, but right down there, you know, it's on Lakeshore Drive and by the the Oak Street Beach and stuff like that. It's just amazing and beautiful. So that's what I would recommend going or maybe a couple blues clubs. I went to uh, Kingston Mines when I was there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's amazing. Derek and I would be be the only white guys in there. We'd go out there and we were out out coke hunting on the streets at night and shit. We'd (laughs) we'd, we'd stumble into there, be the only white cats in there. We'd end up getting up and jamming too, you know, and you got to be pretty good to uh, to get up there and rock with those cats. Kingston oh, wow. Mines, man, that's yeah. I haven't been there in so long. I wonder if it's still the same vibe in there. You know, it's just stinky and smelly and dark. And I you know. remember it was unbelievably awesome because well, we were already been pre-drinking all night by the time we got there, and a, and a friend told me you got to check out Kingston Mines. So get in the cab, head there. The owner's outside having a smoke with me. Oh, you're from Canada. You're from Edmonton. He starts talking about hockey and he knows hockey. Like I've never heard an American know anything about hockey the way this man did. And I was just, well, Chicago Blackhawks is a big deal, right? You, you call it hockey. <laughs> say, I, you know, you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. know, I know. <laughs> One sport that I never really uh, got into was hockey. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, Kingston Mines. It's kind of like, like uh, the Rainbow or CBGBs or something like that. You know, for the blues and stuff. So you know, really famous mm. and um, a lot of roots. Like I said, I don't never been, haven't been in there in twenty five years. You know, so I don't know what the the vibe is in there. Imagine it's modernized a bit, but it was pretty seedy when we go in there and, and it was you know, just... smelled like catfish. And... <laughs> <laughs> I was impressed it was open till 4 a.m. That was another reason why Derek and I would end up there, you know? Yeah. Because, uh, you know, everything else would close and then what is, you know, not going to go home. Yeah. You know, we'd like to hang out and uh, we ended up that and became one of our regular hangouts too, you know? Mm. That's cool. I'm glad you went there. Yeah. No, it was a good experience. Now, you seem to be really in touch with your fans through social media. I mean, your YouTube channel is really cool. I like all the videos that you're constantly uh, creating for everybody. Is there any new tech that you refuse to use? Is there any, any new what? Any tech that you don't like to use at all that's like new, newer tech? Because you seem to be pretty on top of the new stuff. I'm really not on top of the new stuff. I, don't, I still like don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> I just get lucky. I... I know this one app, you know, I, I learned on GarageBand and then I moved to uh, Logic, which is GarageBand and steroids, which you can actually use in a studio and stuff. But I get lucky with it, you know, I mean, I really don't, I'm a singer songwriter and stuff. I'm learning to get a little bit better, but yeah, I mean, um, there's just, I have no use for, uh, you know, any more modern, unless they have some applications or programs that, will mix for you <laughs> or you just record your tracks and it'll mix it together, which I got oh, a couple things that. like that. Yeah. There's nothing, um, drum machines and all that stuff and loops and samples and all that shit. I have no use for any of that. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
nor would I even know how to go about using it. So the, you know, I mean, the, all the modern technology, it's gone to the, to the point of where now it's, it's completely taking, you know, stealing everything from, from arts, you know, the arts and stuff like that, you know, I mean, you know, an artist doesn't have to draw anymore. You know what I mean? It's all done Some on people computer. don't even have to be talented anymore. No, you don't, you don't, <laughs> and, and they're not. <laughs> it's like, honestly. Yeah, they can sing, but that's about it, you know? Some can't, and they're still making records. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. I want to thank you for your time today because it's been an absolute pleasure having this chat with you. And I want to wrap things up where we can tell people what's coming up for you right now and what we can look forward to. Um, well, I've started doing this little series of things um, where the fans send in questions, and I'll just free flow. It's called Donnie V Uninhibited Uncensored, and I start answering the questions just, you know, and I'm talking just like I'm talking to you. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it doesn't like that. I got an hour done and that's all you need. And I send it off to my artist and he, uh, he puts all the little clips and stuff of what I'm talking about. So it's like mini documentaries. So I'm doing that and um, working on uh, this solo uh, catalog deal at the same place with Enough's Enough stuff is at. And like I'm releasing a new single I keep, I've been saying that for a while, but it, as soon as the video is done, I get a new single coming out and I, I, uh, there's gonna be hashtag central on that one. So that's a, try to get it out there. And, um, and then after that, you know, like I said, I still, I got 15 in the can that are great. And so just, uh, whatever, uh, whatever the powers that be put in my, in my path, you know, but I spend a lot of time interacting with, uh, with the fans and not as much these days because I've been really busy. But, um, you know, they, they, they come to me <clears throat> in PMs and stuff uh, with, with a lot of personal issues, you know, that I've, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with so much bullshit, you know, I don't know what to do, but I know what not to do. You know what I mean? And so we talk, I talk, you know, there for these people and they're there for me and, uh, and the fans that, you know, that interaction, it's like, that's what you do this for. And they've, they've always made it very clear to me, like some of them that like how affected their life was by by some of the stuff that I've done and, and even some are like that made the difference of them not killing themselves or something like that, just to uh, somebody could relate. And so I really love interacting with the fans. And, you know, I really, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, that's a beautiful thing about the, the nowadays with social media, but everything else I think is just fucked up, man. It's just, <laughs> it's just ruined everything that was special and wonderful about everything. And thank God there's podcasts and things like you, um, you know, that's closest thing to the old DJs that, that we, uh, that we have anymore, you know, this radio is non-existent, but yeah. just keep your eyes peeled. If you see the, see the name, you know, whatever that it says I'm doing, that's what I'll be doing, you know? <laughs> Good. Yeah. I'll be promoting it for you too. We'll definitely get it out there. And um, Thank you. yeah, once again, maybe um, once the new stuff comes out, I can have you back on the show if you're free. Well, if you can, if you can keep a secret, I'll uh, send you the new songs so you can give me your opinion of what you think, if you, uh, you know, uh, what you think of it as if it has that, what I think it has about it and you let me know, but just, I will. if it falls out of your pocket and I mean, uh, sounds great. Do that. I'd love it. Pig and Richard Nixon will be at your door to beat the shit out of you. Oh, we have in Canada because I can't go into Canada anymore. So won't be <laughs> I'm not allowed back in there. They told, they told me you will never be in Canada again. And uh, I did go one more time, but it was just luck that they snuck me in as I was sleeping on the bus. And 
We just got take a boat. Just take a boat. Come up to take Vancouver. Take a boot. A boot. Take a boot. <laughs> I knew a couple of guys that tried to uh, walk through the cornfield, you know, and get past uh, customs and stuff. And they get caught and shit. But yeah, yeah, I ruined. Uh, I ruined a few search dogs where, where they billed me for. Somebody told me you could sprinkle red pepper and stuff on the carpet of the bus and stuff. Is there was no way we could clean that bus enough to go through customs with with <laughs> sniffer dogs. There was no way the sniffer dogs we were gonna pass that test, and so I tried that. And um, and it was guess the I, other way around. What? Coming from Canada with our weed, trying to get into the states. Well, that's because you're from there, coming in this way, and I don't know why anybody would want to come here from there. It's beautiful up there, but. <laughs> We didn't have a huge market up there anyway, and uh, a couple of shows that we did do up there at that time, uh, some goofy things went wrong, and uh, we were so loud in one club, it blasted the windows out and shit, and, uh, but with the dogs, the sniffer dogs, they billed me for two dogs, every penny that it went into for, from uh, training those dogs to every bite of food they ate their whole lives, and they were ruined forever. <laughs> their, their noses will never work again, and I didn't know that. And uh, I didn't even get to keep the dogs, you know, it was like, it was like something ridiculous, like $30,000 for two dogs. And uh, they still let me in. And then on the way out, I had to say, used to sell uh, those paracetamol codeine in them in uh, Canada. And uh, on the way out, I didn't know what the limit was. I had 20 cases under the bus, you know, these giant, <laughs> and that was it. They said, you, you will never be in Canada again. And you're lucky that you're not in a Canadian prison or so I was lucky, you know, but I'm not gonna be, it won't be me to come to your door and beat the shit out of you, but I hope you like this song. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know. I'm, yeah. uh, all right. Well, uh, once again, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you. your everything you had to say. And I appreciate the interview. It was a, it was an enjoyable interview. He kind of knew what you're talking about. And he asked me some cool questions that aren't just asked every time. And, you know, I went and had to take a shower and everything is I didn't hear it till it was it was just audio until like when you were talking to me, I was like, oh, I didn't even have to shower or anything, you know, I could <laughs> didn't have to hook up the video or anything. Oh, no, I'm glad you did. Because like what we do is like for our Patreon subscribers, they can watch the bonus video so they can watch the whole thing. Well, you can use it. As long my as you're cool you know? Yeah. Right. And, uh, luckily, you know, uh, didn't get crazy on here, you know, it's like a <laughs> yeah, on Zoom. There was, I used to have some. I used to have some craziness where uh, I'd start getting a hard on just knowing I'm going on a Skype interview. You know, what I mean, <laughs> all that that fucking that web chatting and stuff like that. You know, I had, had some crazy shit going on with that. You know, but uh, <laughs> give me a call. Yeah, no, you bet. Okay, yeah. Next time, next time it'll be crazy interview. All right. All right, sweetie. Thank you very much, yeah. and thanks for thinking of me. And I hope. You know, success for you and, and uh, stick with it, man. And good luck with your recordings, too. Thank you so much. All right. I'll, I'll keep in touch and uh, see when you're ready to come back on again. All right. Thank you, sweetie. Okay. Thank you, Donnie. Bye. So I wrote this song. It's called All My Favorite Things. I think you could relate and I think you'll dig it. Check it out. Well, I just found out. And I still don't know What's all the fuss about If the flowers grow 
What a delight to talk to Donnie. So refreshingly honest, uncensored, uninhibited. I'm thrilled to see him healthy and wonderful and happy and in a good place. Oh, great chat. Can't wait to have him on the show again sometime. Donnie V, check him out on YouTube where he's constantly uploading new content for the fans. YouTube.com forward slash Donnie V official. Remember V is V-I-E. Check it out. And love you, Donnie. Thank you so much for being on the show. We're getting close, guys. It's almost Christmas time. So next week, I'm going to get Kendra and our friend Lauren to come join me and talk about the best Christmas albums of the 90s. If you want to weigh in on the best Christmas albums of the 90s, make sure you hit us up on social media. I'm going to have all the links coming up for you right after I I shut up and stop talking and let you guys go for another week, okay? So take care and have a wonderful week. Follow us on Facebook at Dope Nostalgia, Instagram, Dope underscore Nostalgia, or on Twitter at Nostalgia Dope. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.